Well, find your sermon outline there in your bulletin, and let's open our Bibles to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, please, Matthew 5, 21. Uh, the book rack Bible in front of you, you can use that, page 1502. Uh, if you have a smartphone or a tablet that has a Bible application on there, uh, open wherever you can get your eyes on Scripture, Matthew 521. So I think it's good to do a little bit of a, pre, or a review as to where we've been in, in this series so far. We're studying the book of Matthew, the gospel, we're only in chapter 5, but here's where we've been. The first four chapters deal with the king of the kingdom. We were introduced to the king of the kingdom, who is Jesus Christ, okay? In chapter five comes a brand new section in this book. It's a narrative section. We know it as Sermon on the Mount. It was the greatest sermon ever preached. And in this section, the attention turns away from necessarily the king of the kingdom to the subjects of the kingdom, the subjects of the king. That's you and me if we've trusted in Jesus Christ. We belong to the kingdom of God. And Jesus is our king. Our allegiance is to him uh, above and beyond every other allegiance that we have in this world. He is our one and only, not one of many. And so we serve him and follow him. Now in this little section of the Sermon on the Mount, so far we've seen in the Beatitudes that Christ followers have a character that is so unlike everyone else in the world, right? And, and counterintuitive. We feel blessed and we are blessed even though we mourn, even though we hunger and thirst for righteousness. Um, all of those things that Jesus talked about in the Beatitudes belong to us. We are, we are his people and we have a character that is unlike anyone in the world. And when we live like the people God has made us be, we are salt and light. We make a difference. We have an impact. We influence our culture. We influence people and, and the world for Christ. We're also people who realize that our righteousness doesn't come because we know the law or even because we try to follow the law. As we learned last week, we know that our righteousness can only come through faith in Jesus Christ. That righteousness is a gift from God and it comes by faith, like Romans 3 talks about that now there is a righteousness from God that is apart from the law, a righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful reminder to us today that this is what we have. And so now we shift gears, and for the next six weeks, we're going to take a little break in, uh, uh, for the uh, Easter season, Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, which we're going to be real excited about too. But over the next six sections in this uh, narrative, we're going to see this, this beautiful picture of what Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, but now I say to you. And so he's doing some correction. He's bringing uh, proper interpretation to God's law. And that's why we have this construction set. It's a reminder to us that all of us, our hearts are under construction. True Christianity, true uh, followers of Jesus Christ realize that we're always under construction, that God is rebuilding us and working us, and we're not going through forms and rituals to be religious people, but we're seeking to follow the king of the kingdom, and we're wanting as his subjects to follow him and, and honor him in all that, that takes place. So just look at your uh, passage there, uh, beginning verse 21, you've heard that it was said. Verse 27, you've heard that it was said. Verse 31, it has been said. Verse 33, again, you've heard it was said. Verse 38, you've heard it was said. And verse 43, you've heard that it was said. So there are six sections where Jesus is going to do some correction, some proper interpretation of some pretty powerful subjects today the subject of murder, next week adultery, the next following week divorce. Oh my goodness, we're going to be in some heavy topics. And you better be here because it's going to be awesome. 
and how, you know, making promises with an oath and revenge and how do we love our enemies. All these things are things that are coming up. And Jesus say, you've heard it this way. This is what religion says, but this is what I'm telling you. Because religion never says what's really important or what needs to be said. Religion is always couched in, in form and checking boxes. And we're going to see that in a big way today. So let's read the text, verses 21 through 26 in today's text. All right. So you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Jesus said, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Wow, interesting text. So there's three things I want to point out in this text that will help us kind of walk through it and understand what it means for our lives today. And the first is this, that a popular long-held belief is that the way to live a righteous life is by not breaking certain commands. Now, Pastor Danny did a great job introducing this whole theme last week when we found out that a lot of people run after righteousness by keeping the law. But nobody can keep the law. That's an impossibility. And even if we could keep it uh, to the highest degree, the law itself, by itself, doesn't make us righteous. Only God can make us righteous. Righteousness is a gift that comes from Him. We have been given righteousness through our faith in Jesus Christ. So... To a religious people, Jesus breaks out this reality that a lot of them and a lot of us sort of have this belief that the way to live a righteous life is by not breaking certain commands. And for those that believe this way, a good place to start seems to be by not committing murder. I mean, would you agree with that? (laughs) Good. I mean, if if you're going to try to keep commands. I mean, if you believe that that's the way to live a righteous life, you're probably going to depend on sort of the biggies that you're not going to break. You're not going to break the command that we shouldn't, that we should not murder. And everybody, most everybody, most every culture, if you travel around the world, most countries, most civilizations believe that murder is bad. And that if you commit it, If you're charged with it and found convicted of it, you're going to spend time in jail or you might uh, be uh, executed, death penalty. Places all over the world where, of course, murder is a capital crime. And and yet, we we realize in the culture we're living in that that's, we're, we're in a murderous culture, aren't we? I mean... Every day, I opened the newspaper yesterday, there were three articles in the first four pages of the San Francisco Chronicle about, about murders that had that occurred just this week. I was looking at some statistics this last week, and the city of Oakland 
is on the list of the 100 most dangerous cities in the country, and it's number eight or nine, depends on which, you know, statistic you look at, eight or nine. The 30 most dangerous cities in the country, we rank at like 23, uh, Detroit being the worst. Out of 100,000 people in Detroit, 44 people are murdered every year. In the city of Oakland, it's 22.3 or something like that. That's crazy. And, and we feel unsafe. And it's, it's not to mention the fact that there are robberies and property crimes and crimes against individuals, all this kind of stuff that's going on. It's a, we live, we are in the, uh, uh, the hotbed of, of terrible things that are happening in people's lives. And if you researched it, you would also find that murders that have been unsolved are just rampant everywhere. There's hundreds and hundreds of cases still open in the police departments in this area where there are murders or we don't have a trace of evidence. We don't know who did it. We don't know what happened, how it happened. And you can imagine for the people who have gone through these things, it's terrible. Murder is just a big part. I read another thing this past week that if by time you reach the end of elementary age, kids have seen, they have witnessed on television 8,000 murders. 8,000. We are a murderous society. Murder is a part of everything. In fact, we are entertained by murder. I mean, that's the reality. There's a popular TV show, How to Get Away with Murder. You know, there are movies that splash murder all the time. And, and we like the intrigue. We're drawn to it. We just kind of feel like it's part of our culture. And we recognize it's real. But it also, we're sort of strangely drawn, the mystery of it and the, the evil of it. It's crazy. Murder is everywhere. We're entertained by it. In fact, I know that there are movie companies that actually run after the latest and most grisly murder cases to try to get dibs on doing movies about those cases. That's the culture we're in. Because it means dollars, it means box office hits, and all that stuff. I've been watching the news this week, so have you, and, and plastered on most every news tabloid is the Jihadi John, you know, this Mohammed Mwazi who was uh, Kuwaiti, uh, raised in London, uh, and he's the big masked man behind the whole ISIS thing. And, and it just makes us sick. We, we see murder, and we hear about it, and it just, ah, and, and Jesus, listen, let's come back now into the text. Jesus is speaking to a group of religious people who, who believe that as long as they didn't go all the way to take a life, as long as they didn't pull the trigger or slice with a knife or whatever method it was, as long as they didn't do those things, uh, they felt pretty good about themselves, that they were keeping the big part of the law. As long as we didn't go all the way, if I haven't been charged and found guilty of murder, I'm doing better off than the person who has. And a lot of us can feel that way. Today, this is the case as well. Many of us feel very uh, thankful that we have not actually been, you know, a part of something like that. As much as we are entertained by it, as much as a part of our culture that hasn't touched us, we haven't been a murderer but Jesus is talking about something all the way different here, isn't he? I mean, he's pointing out something that's, that's quite radical. In fact, we would be appalled if one day the police showed up at our door and said, Mr. Volt, 
uh, we are arresting you today because you had ill thoughts about somebody that you work with. Come with us. <laughs> now, I'd be, I'd be screaming injustice, no way, you know, you can't do this to me. And so would you. But if you look carefully at the text, what Jesus is saying here, and this is quite amazing to me, Jesus challenges this popular notion of the fact that we're not guilty because we haven't pulled the trigger, we're not guilty. He challenges this notion by a shocking pronouncement, and here's what the pronouncement is. He says in verse 22, he says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. What? Angry with his brother, subject to judgment here. God's judgment is actually directed at what's beneath the surface of our actions. That's what Jesus is saying. Yeah, great that we haven't committed the act of murder, but uh-oh. It's not so great because what Jesus is saying is that God's judgment is actually directed at what's beneath the surface of the act. Well, I thought I was, it was our actions that either clears us or condemns us, one might protest. Not according to Jesus. Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who is angry. Now, he takes the sixth commandment, which he's quoting here. You have heard that it was said the religious leaders of Jesus' day were very, you know, uh, adept in, this, in the law of God. In Exodus 20, verse 13, the sixth command, thou shalt not murder. And as I read that text, I've gone to Exodus, and maybe you have too, I, I don't see anywhere in that text where anything is being said about anger. So it's interesting that Jesus would say, you've heard this, but I'm telling you this. What he's saying is that the, the law always had an intent behind it. And here's what we're really good at. We're good at keeping the letter of the law, but still being guilty of what the intent was to protect us from. We're guilty of our intent. And that's what God looks at. He, he sort of pops the hood on our lives and he says, okay, you haven't murdered anybody per se, but you've been angry enough. And anger, if you're taking notes, anger, Jesus is saying, is actually the root of murder. It's the base. Because all murder can be directed back to one's emotion that fueled the action. And it's always found there to be anger, hatred, disgust, repulsion, irritation, rage, antagonism, resentment. All of those things are the root of murder. Uh, we read about this in the papers. A disgruntled employee who has not been given the promotion bursts into the office, shoots everyone they can, and then turns the gun on themselves. How many times have we heard that in the last few years? happens all the time. Or some guy that is enraged over the fact that his girlfriend that he broke up with or perhaps a wife that has left him is now with another man and that guy, you know, goes after his threat and so he kills the person, maybe kills the woman, kills himself. This is all fueled by anger, people disagreeing and loathing other people's situations or freedoms, or political ideology that sends mercenaries and terrorists to murder those they hate. 21 Coptic Christians in Libya, bang, murder. 
And we see all this, and, we, and what Jesus is saying is saying, you can trace all this back to an unbridled anger. It all comes from anger. Now, it's important to point out, and I don't think this is in your notes, but I would make a note of it, is that all anger is not wrong. Jesus is not condemning anger, but a certain kind of anger. In fact, Jesus himself was angry at times. We know that. Read the Gospels. He comes into the temple and all the people that were there supposedly to support the sacrificial system of God's people coming with their sacrifices were simply trying to make a buck. And they were merchandising God's people and merchandising them to the point of of fueling all of what they were doing religiously by the almighty shekel. And the people were going along and Jesus said enough and he makes a rope and he and he makes a whip out of the rope and he drives the merchants out of the temple saying, my house will be a house of prayer. He was angry. Was his angry petty? No, his angry was pitched at that which angered the heart of God. There are things that anger God's heart, injustice, people that are treated unfairly. These are all things that God is not happy with. And when we, in fact, I think there are times when if we're not angry, we're in sin. We should be angry over injustice. We should be angry over things that hurt the heart of God or or hurt God's people. Those things should make us angry. But how do we demonstrate that anger? Should we demonstrate it with hate? Should we demonstrate it with abuse? No. Jesus showed anger, contempt against systems and places and and even at times people, but not directed so much at the people, but the, the system that they were a part of. So it's okay to be angry if our anger is a righteous anger. Like Ephesians 4.26, be angry, but do not sin. So okay, there's a way to be angry, but not sin. Okay. So not all anger is sin. Very important to recognize. But what Jesus is saying here is that a petty anger, an anger that is you've kind of, you know, pushed against me, my agenda, my preferences, the things that I want in my life, and ooh, I'm angry at that. Those are the kinds of things that Jesus says just simply points out the fact that we are all guilty. In fact, he goes on to say that our unloving words toward others or about others are murderous in nature. Murderous. Wow. And so he uses words. First, he describes the word raka. If anyone uses the word raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. Anybody use the word raka this week toward anybody? Anybody? <laughs> I didn't think so. That's an idiom of Jesus' day. Uh, the word raka literally means empty head. He said, okay, I, I get it. I've used that. Uh, imbecile, stupid, moron idiot. Now, if those words came out of your lips towards somebody this week, I've got some bad news for you. You're answerable to the Sanhedrin, which means that there was a governing policy. The the Sanhedrin was the governing, the ruling eldership of the Jewish people. And you could actually be brought before the Sanhedrin for having used a word like, you're an idiot, you're a moron, you're good for nothing. It's kind of slanderous, libelous. There were laws that protected people from those kinds of abuses. And the word fool, Jesus says, could actually put you in the danger of the fire of hell. Now, is Jesus talking about, boy, there's, if you say raka, that's this level. If you say fool, you're going to hell. 
No. What Jesus is saying, he's trying to break through this sense of the fact that as long as I haven't cut somebody down in, act, in the act of murder, I'm okay. I'm okay with God. I can worship. I'm free. But Jesus says, wait a minute. No, 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 no. If you trace murder back to where it starts, it starts with anger. And anger usually issues forth in words like, you're an idiot, you're stupid, you bug me, you drive me crazy. And words like, you are good for nothing, you're a fool, your character is slammed, your, you know, your character doesn't mean anything. We attack people's intelligence and we attack people's character. And whenever we attack, attack either one of those, Jesus is saying, you're just as culpable as a murderer. <laughs> now, I don't know. I, I, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, you know what this tells us this morning? I mean, here's the reality check. This tells us that we're all murderers. <laughs> I study this passage, I'm thinking, you know, I've probably murdered my wife a few times. <laughs> Thankfully, she came back to life, but I murdered her again, you know. And probably my kids a few times over the years, over the years. I might have even murdered some of you. <laughs> I mean, when you think about the reality of this, you realize we're all murderers. You are sitting among felons this morning. You know, I've visited people. I know people that are on death row for murder. And I've visited them. I've, I've been in a room at San Quentin and other prisons where I've been surrounded by felons. And when I walk into this room, I usually feel a little nervous. Because in those kinds of rooms, people on death row and people with life sentences, it's weird. The movies say you're always behind the, you know, the glass. That's sometimes true, and I've had that experience too. But usually when you're incarcerated institutionally for a lifetime... Visitors come and visit in an open area, and there are other people with the same charges against them. And so you just walk in after you've been through 45 barred gates and doors and scanners, and, and you then whoo, you walk in. And it's, it's a, a really, you know, gut check to, to realize, wow, I'm, I'm among all these people. But, you know, after studying this passage, I realize that happens every time I come to church. <laughs> I mean, why am I so nervous when I'm in the penitentiary because according to Jesus, he says, your hearts, all of your hearts have this problem. So this is a good time right now to just stop for a minute and thank God for the beauty of God's saving grace in our lives. Because were it not for his grace, all of us would have a sentence. We have the sentence of death outside of God's grace. So if you come to know Jesus Christ through faith, and repentance and following Jesus in your life, then you know that the sweet experience of God's pardoning grace, that he has, he has pardoned us completely, forgiven all of our sins, past, present, and future, and that our righteousness is not gauged by how well we do with the written law of God, but that he's imputed his righteousness on us. He's given us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And while the law is certainly descriptive of what it means to follow Jesus, and we follow it because we know that the word of God sanctifies us as we follow. We also realize that 
our righteousness is not ultimately determined by how well we do. And that might be for someone here today that has been religious in your past, or maybe you're trying to come to church so that you can get a little bit of religion in your life. The beautiful news of the gospel is, is that you will never ever, by how much religion you take into your life, you will never ever be made right with God until you come to that place by God's grace where you simply believe on his son, Jesus, who is the Christ and who can forgive all sin and realize that, yes, we're all, we're all guilty of this, of this thing, even like murder. Which, by the way, let me just give another little uh, disclaimer that's really important. Jesus is not saying uh, to think Ill, Ill thoughts towards somebody is exactly the same as murdering somebody. Okay, that's important to recognize that difference. Just as culpable, just as accountable before God, but if this week you have a choice between being angry at somebody and taking their life, choose being angry at them, okay? <laughs> I'm being a little facetious here because I hear sometimes people say, well, like, it's all the same to God. Well, we're just as culpable, but the results are way different. And consequences are way different in terms of the way we live our lives. So I, I want to encourage you with that today. Um, but just as far as culpability, responsibility, ah, same, same batch. Now, there's a couple things still left in our text that's worth talking about quickly as we come down to the end here. And that is this. Verses 23 through 26. Righteous living is less about the adherence of externals and more about the cultivation of the heart. And that's what Jesus is saying here. It's all about the heart. It's the construction of the heart. Uh, verse 23, we need to cultivate a love for reconciliation among those we've wronged. Look at it. it. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Uh, this is amazing. Um, first of all, we're not very good at this, and so we need some practice. But what Jesus is saying here is, and, and don't you find it interesting that Jesus says, if you're coming with your gift and there you remember that someone has something against you. Because see, when I hear this passage, most times I hear it this way. People say, if you're coming into worship or you're going out to share your faith or you're bringing your gift to the Lord and there you remember that you've got something against somebody, you should go fix that. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus is actually spiking the sensitivity of his subjects to realize here's where it starts. It, it starts with the, the, the preview of who in my life perhaps have I wronged to where they feel that there's something I've done against them. That's sensitivity. Not who's offended you, but what have you done? What have I done that maybe has caused somebody an offense and they have something against us? That person at work who maybe feels like you've been usurping their authority and you're trying to get the promotion, you're, getting, you know, you're angling for their job or something or a job that they're trying to get and you've offended them in some way. And you know it right now. The Spirit of God is saying, yeah, that's you. There's, there's someone in your life that you've offended. Well, Jesus said, when you come to worship, you got to realize that this as Im is as important to God as our expressions of worshiping him is. In other words, when we come into the presence of God, write this down in your notes. The way we treat, the way we think of others is as important to God in terms of whether we've offended them or not as our expressions of worship are. 
That's really huge. That means when, I, when I'm here singing out to the Lord, and if there's something in my heart, I realize I've offended somebody, and I haven't made no, I've made no attempt to bring reconciliation, Jesus said, you better clear that up. And I like the fact that he says, you know, don't take your gift away. He says, leave it at the altar, go take care of the issue, and then come back and present your gift. So the gift is still important to God. The contribution is still important to God. What you intended to do is still important to God. But he says there's some other things that are more important in that moment. We're not very good at this. Here's what culture says. When people have something against you, let them go. They're loose baggage. They're just, you know, they just weigh you down. And maybe we've treated people like that in our lives. And Jesus said, no, you got to clear it up. You got to try to clear it up. Um, There are people... uh, that all of us can think of perhaps right now that, that we've never attempted to square away, never attempted to clear up an issue that we know they have something against us. And Jesus said, that's not a part of my kingdom people. Now, um, wouldn't it be great if when we made those attempts, it all came out beautifully? Wouldn't that be great? The reality is it doesn't. In fact, I'll warn you right now that if you decide to take Jesus on this, and obey him in this area, you're probably likely to find yourself in some messy places and maybe some really hard places in your own life. You might have a train wreck this week with somebody that you just simply reached out to that you knew there was distance between you and them that maybe you had done something or you knew you had done something but you had never made the overture to say, can we work on cleaning this up? And it just blows up. And in that event, if that happens, I want to direct you to Romans 12, 18, that says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And you know why I like that verse? I like the conditional clause in that verse. If possible. Because that tells me it's not always possible. And that brings me relief. Because there are people that I have reached out to, like you have too, and said, you know, I know that we've had some odds here. We don't, dis- we don't agree on this. <sighs> Can we try to patch this up? Can we work on this? And <laughs> and it goes right when you want it to go left. There's no peace. It's worse. And you say, thanks a lot, Larry, for encouraging me to do this. <laughs> well, first of all, let's clear that up. Jesus said to do it, not Larry. <laughs> And if Jesus told us to do it, he knew there would be times where it would be a train wreck. But nevertheless, he says, this is our responsibility. Because somewhere along the line, sometimes train wrecks happen, but down the road, six months, six years, something comes around. Because we're willing to humble ourselves and say, I want to see something happen here that needs to make a difference. So we need to work on reconciliation. And that's your assignment this week, by the way. If there's something that you have done to offend somebody else. And by the way, you know why Jesus told you to do that? Told me to do that? He wants us to somehow partner with him in keeping others from murdering too. You save other people from murdering you and those around you when you actually reach out to them for something that you have done. Secondly, and lastly, we need to cultivate what brings peace between our adversaries. 
Okay, so verse 25, Jesus changes the language from brother, verse 23, to adversary. So we don't know if this is another believer in Christ. We don't know anything about this person. And Jesus could have used brother in verse 23 too to not only speak of our uh, relationships to others in the body of Christ, but it could be people outside of Christ too. But nevertheless, notice this adversary issue. Do it while you're still with them on the way. The the point of this is that there are situations that must be engaged in a timely manner because time can expire. We live in a litigative society. Have you noticed? People get disagreements with each other and the first thing they say is, I'm calling a lawyer. Some of you are in businesses, you know that. Just one little infraction, you'll be hearing from my attorney. Oh, it just, everything just falls apart. And I, attorneys are good. The court system is good. It's important. We live in the best country in the world in terms of jurisprudence. I really believe that. So I'm not, I'm not saying anything against lawyers, nothing against the system. What I'm saying is we too often depend on that system instead of doing what God's word tells us to do, and that is to work at peace. Have a cup of coffee with somebody that wants to drop the I'm calling my lawyer thing. Can we talk? Can we have a conversation? Man, I must have done something or I did something. I would love to clean this up, love to clear it up. Oh my goodness, my friends, Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He says, why do you go and sue each other when, when you've got godly people around you that can help ameliorate a situation? You know, in a church our size, we have over 3,000 people that call this their church. There are people suing each other in our church. I know of situations. It's sad. The world goes, yeah, just like everybody else. So what Jesus is saying here is profound. And it does not happen without hearts that are tuned to him. Now we're about to enter into a time of sharing in the Lord's table together and And this is a moment where really the gut check happens. Are we going to buy into this? Are we going to be subjects to the king or not? And so right now, there may be people out of your framework that you can't go to right now, but you can say to the Lord, Lord, I've heard your word, and yes, Lord, I'm going to reach out. I need to forgive in my own heart, and Lord, I'm going to seek forgiveness with this other party. That would be a great way to enter through this time of the Lord's table together, okay? So, if this morning you never opened your heart to Jesus, we would invite you to do that right now. I'm gonna close this in a time of prayer and preparation for the distribution of these elements. So let's go to the Lord in prayer right now.